Hey everyone, it's James and welcome to the Notorious Banker Podcast. 3,250 plus amazing followers at BankBetterGuy on Twitter, 20,000 followers at Notorious Banker on TikTok, another 4,000 at Notorious Banker on Instagram. Of course, I am the author of the new book, High Risk Transaction, The Ryan Coogler Bank of America Incident, now available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle format. Guys, once again, thank you so very much for your love and support. I really do appreciate it. And of course, if you want to show your support monetarily, you can always go to patreon.com slash notoriousbanker, where for as little as a $1 a month subscription, you can help me, the Notorious Banker, fight back against big banks. And of course, I am always welcoming Venmo and Cash App donations at the Notorious Banker, all one word. So um, a lot of things going on in the world. One of the things is I just bought a new computer. So if this sounds differently, if the voice is too high or too low, I'm still learning it. I found a sweetheart of a deal on eBay, a $600 computer for $190, refurbished and brand new. It is the, quote, newest computer I've ever had. It has Bluetooth, has HDMI, it has all the things that I wanted. I'm really excited about it because the last time I bought a computer was two years ago in the midst of the pandemic. Um, and there was a lot going on in the world with PPP loans and unemployment. I helped so many people get so many dollars into their pockets and people were gracious enough to donate, you know, thousands of dollars to me over the course of 2020, which allowed me to buy this awesome desk um, where I work from primarily and uh, a computer that was a refurb, but it wasn't really the best computer. So I, I I just wanted it to just survive. That way I can continue to make podcasts, continue to create content. And I wrote two books on that computer, but it was time to, to put it to sleep. So I got a new computer and I got to tell you, it looks amazing at first sight still downloading everything i'm still trying to install everything correctly on there um did the podcast recording software last night and it prompted me to install windows 11 so i'm not quite sure how to use windows 11 yet i'm at the age where um new stuff is scary to me so i'm gonna play with that a little bit after i'm done with this podcast but i wanted to get this done because there was a couple things going on that i wanted to talk about but um i am thankful to everyone who contributes to my project because you have helped me get this computer and allowed me to create more content for you guys. I gotta tell you, getting that check from TikTok every month is really paying dividends. Um, it's, it's allowed me to buy a laptop, it's allowed me to buy this computer. Um, I did upgrade my cell phone, so you're gonna see a lot more um, native content from my cell phone because the video quality in there is awesome. So we got a lot going on here, and um, of course I told you in my last podcast, I fought the state of New Mexico and I won my case for unemployment, so that money is in there. So we're we're doing good now. We're doing good now. And, and you know what's funny is, you know, I'm doing good, but I always am thinking about why I do good. And that's because banks are so bad. I only exist because big banks are horrible. I only exist because big banks do horrible things to customers. And I am very cognizant of that. I'm very aware that my job is reliant upon banks really being shit to their customers. And will it ever change? I mean, I, I wish it did. Um, it would put me out of a job and I would have to find something else to do. But at the same time, I would be fine with it because, you know, I, I wish I wish this upon no one, all this bad stuff that happens and um, I was really busy with my niece and nephew this week, so I didn't get a chance to go full on doing my vigilante customer service, my customer service strategy the way that I normally do. But I didn't um, get to help one person in Washington, D.C. 
And I'll talk about that in the second segment because that one was, I, I'll be frank with you, it was easy um, to succeed um, at her problem because of the type of problem it was. So I'll get to that in, in greater detail. Um, because it's important that you know that what I do is still very much a skill that not a lot of people have. Because you can complain about customer service all you want, that's fine. Complaining about customer service does not mean getting things done. Complaining means complaining. And, you know, for the most part, I see that as counterproductive, especially whenever you have an issue going on. So I'm going to get to, to Susan's um, situation in the second segment. But I did want to tell you the first segment we're going to talk about is our friend Patrick Rucker from the Capital Forum. Um, another amazing article, another another bank that we don't get to talk about a lot. The Bank of the West. Okay, so Bank of the West... I used to call it the Bear Bank because their old logo before they were purchased by BNP Priebus was some type of bear. I don't know. I don't know what bear it was exactly. My father-in-law is a hunter. He would probably know. But um, it's a bank that I'm familiar with only for the fact that I turned down a very lucrative branch manager job at Bank of the West in the tiny little village of Anthony, New Mexico, population 2000. Um, in order to stick around with Bank of America, my loyalty was strong. And I said... I, I can make more money at Bank of the West, but you know what? I like it at B of A. I have my friends here. Well, nine days later, I was fired, so I, I guess I made a horrible mistake, right? Or maybe I didn't because it allowed me to talk to you fine folks now. But anyway, Bank of the West had some interesting situations going on um, in regards to overdrafts and um, how they overdraft their customers, the the pressure, the sales pressure of overdraft protection at that bank. Um Patrick did another um, awesome article, and I'm going to kind of break down the Cliff's Notes version of what was going on that he mentions in the article, and and how I see one part of it as it's just a horrible um, experience for customers, um, but at the same time, I think a lot of people don't realize that whenever people overdraft, whenever customers overdraft, in a weird way, there's so many customers that don't mind it. I know that sounds weird. But um, I'll get to the second part of, of Patrick's article where he discusses how Bank of the West closes out the accounts of customers for being habitual overdrafters. And in a weird way, as weird as it sounds, there's um, a group of customers that probably would not like that and they don't mind that they get overdraft. And as a banker who knows how hard it is to open up a bank account whenever you basically get booted out of another institution, how how hard it is to just kind of reestablish somewhere else, you know, cause I always get those, you know, the knuckleheads that complain about me on Twitter and social media saying, why do you do what you do or whatever? You know, you're not really doing much, you know, why don't people just leave bank of America? Why don't people just leave Wells Fargo and go to another bank? If only it were that easy, if it was that easy for people to just pick up and move on to another bank willy nilly, then everyone would do it. There are people with reasons that they have to stick around with a bank and, and, it, I can go for an hour about the reasons why they have to stick at a bank, but there are some people who are stuck to a bank for whatever reason. And, you know, some people find it difficult to uproot their direct deposit, their automatic payments, all those little things that make life, um, you know, routine for us are hard to uproot and plant somewhere else. So uh, when Bank of the West closes out accounts for habitual overdrafters, it becomes a mess. We'll get to that part of that segment Um the second half of the first segment and then the second part we're going to talk about how i recovered um fifteen hundred dollars plus for susan in washington dc um after her card was stolen and used and bank of america said um 
Yeah, no, you're lying. Um, we're gonna we're gonna allow this charge to be valid. I fixed it in a day. What Bank of America could not fix in several months. I'll get to that in just a second. It's another fine day here for the Notorious Banker podcast with my new computer, and I really hope that this sounds good as you're listening to it. So I'll be right back after this. Hey everyone, it's James, Notorious Banker, inviting you to join me on TikTok. That's at Notorious Banker on TikTok, where nearly 16,000 people have followed me so far. Now, I've got to be honest with you, as a nearly 39-year-old person, I'm still trying to figure out TikTok, learning all the different filters, learning how to edit, learning how to be funny and informative in a short amount of time, and thankfully, I have family members to help me with that. Uh, But one of the things I do on TikTok is the same thing that I do on Twitter. I talk about big banks. I talk about how to avoid the perils of bad customer service at big banks, all the while telling you stories about my nearly 15 years in the banking industry and also giving you little fun facts and information about the banking industry as a whole. It's something, in my personal opinion, that is unique to TikTok. You know, it's not just about dance moves and pretty girls. Uh, We're talking about banks and we're having an interesting discussion with younger folks about their perspective on big banks. So I implore you to go to at Notorious Banker on TikTok and join the nearly 16,000 people who have already seen what the Notorious Banker is capable of on social media. All right, everyone, I'm back with more Notorious Banker podcast. So Bank of the West, I mentioned in the opening segment that I got offered a job as a branch manager at Bank of the West um, less than two weeks before I was fired at Bank of America, and I turned it down, citing my loyalty to Bank of America. What a stupid mistake that I made. Um, But Bank of the West is um, in the news um, because there is a merger that is pending with BMO Harris or Bank of Montreal, which is a bank one of my friends in Arizona was actually a branch manager of after leaving Bank of America. So I'm familiar with BMO Harris. I'm familiar with Bank of the West. um, But um, two are trying to become one. And right now... This story by Patrick Rooker, our friend, um, actually opened my eyes a little bit because it discusses overdraft fee policies dating back to 2017. And of course, you know, 2022 is the year that the overdraft fee is going away at a lot of places or at least getting lowered. Bank of America lowered it from $35 to $10. Capital One does not have overdraft fees. And various other banks have either eliminated their overdraft or NSF charges altogether or have significantly reduced them. I've said it before, although they do generate revenue, that's not the only way that big banks generate revenue. So they really didn't need it. So the fact that you know banks are kind of trying to do away with overdrafts tells me that they, they feel that they can make do without that revenue that is brought on by overdraft fees and habitual overdrafters. So it's it's interesting to hear about um, another middle of the pack bank, you know, and their overdraft issues because you know whenever someone leaves a big bank like a B of A or Chase or Wells Fargo, and they go, I'm gonna go someplace that's a little bit smaller, maybe they'll treat me better. No, no, the middle of the road banks are just as bad. Um, the smaller banks, you know, they have a more local feel, but you know, a, a bad bank or a bad banker or bad customer service is gonna be just as bad, if not worse, in a small bank than it would be at a big bank, if you can believe that, because your expectations are that they're going to treat you better. And if you're getting treated like shit at a small bank, then you're going to accept that as the norm. And that's just not where we should be at in this world. But anyway, Patrick's story, um, you know, I'm not going to read it verbatim here. I'll link to his tweet and you can find a way to access it as well. 
Um, but I'll read the first couple of paragraphs here. It says, Bank of the West aggressively charges overdraft penalties despite receiving a regulator's private reprimand years earlier for allowing customers to rack up dozens of the fees, according to sources familiar with the matter. The FDIC, the agency that stands behind its customer deposits, determined in 2017 the Bank of the West was violating guidelines that lenders should help vulnerable customers avoid overdraft fees, sources said. Some customers are being hit with more than $1,000 in overdraft fees in a year, the sources said. The bank kept charging customers, even though the FDIC has said such customers should be moved into less costly accounts once they've been assessed a few hundred dollars in overdraft fees. So let me get to that uh, right now. So the less costly accounts, there's, um, I call them accounts with training wheels. B of A, Wells Fargo have them, where they charge you a flat fee to bank with them in exchange for not having the capability of overdrafting or um, in, a, in a lot of the cases, there's no check writing allowed. It's a checking account without checks. It's a debit card and electronic based account. It's supposedly there to protect you. In my opinion, the accounts and training wheels are, are a bad thing because they're charging you a flat fee for something that you can get free pretty much anywhere else. So you're, you're paying a penalty for being bad with your money for overdrafting. And, you know, there are so many people on social media who always tell me, well, it's the responsibility of the customers to know how much they have and how much they can spend and all that. Yeah, that's all well and good, okay? You can you can keep a tally in your head. Hey, I have this much in my account. You can whip out the app and say, this is how much I have in my account. But automatic payments that post overnight, that rearrange its stack, it's all meant for you to overdraft, okay? The way that the system works is not in your favor, okay? So whenever you assume something, you know that old saying, Whenever you assume something is going to be okay, typically it's not in banking. So, you know, whenever they say, hey, you should move your customers over to less costly accounts, well, that doesn't solve the problem, okay? You know, yeah, you can't be a recidivist whenever you're, you know, overdrafting all the time and you get moved into an account that can't overdraft, but you're also not teaching people better money habits. You're, you're basically, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to cut off your hands so you can't steal is what they're, is what they're basically implying. So, you know, it's it's interesting. So it says, under a confidential settlement with the FDIC at the time, Bank of the West agreed to not charge customers more than $1,000 in overdraft fees a year. And um, doing the fuzzy math, that's what, like 28 overdrafts a year? That's crazy. It's a crazy amount. The confidential agreement known as a matter requiring board attention hasn't been disclosed until now. Um, whoever um, created the titling for the uh, confidential agreements needs... Um, some creativity lessons. That's the most boring title ever. Um, it says banks overdraft policies are still drawing criticism from advocates and at least one government agency. Um, the CFPB named Bank of the West is one of the handful of institutions that continue to charge overdrafts at a time when some other leading lenders have agreed to phase out those fees. And I've said this before, okay? Whenever someone tells me on Twitter, like, I go to this bank and they take care of me. Look at the schedule of fees. The schedule of fees at a lot of banks, even smaller ones and credit unions, are a lot worse overall than what big banks are. And like I said, you know, yeah, big banks charge fees, whatever. That we, we, we know that. We talk about that a million times on here. But, you know, sometimes some of the fees that are charged at smaller banks for some of the things that are free at bigger banks, it just blows my mind. And I can go on and on about that. And I want you to, if you bank at a smaller bank, just type in your bank's name, go to schedule of fees, and look for some fee on there that's totally ridiculous. And I guarantee you'll find two or three that you don't agree with. Um, and I'm not talking overdraft fees. I'm talking about other ancillary services. 
so uh, because so you know yeah they phased out fees at and, and you know bigger banks or whatever and bank of the west is then but you know trying to push you know them to waive the overdraft fees or to eliminate them altogether to me that's not the way to to do it you know saying hey get rid of them you need to address the unethical policies that have been around for years before that before you do away with them because you know the conversations now oh look everyone's getting rid of fees yeah but what damage was done what damage was done in the years preceding that so let me scroll down here a little bit um and you know it's funny we talked about pnc um and you know on a podcast before and then we talked td bank because patrick did a story about td bank as well and a lot of these agreements were under on the previous presidential administration number 45 you know who i'm talking about um i don't talk politics i don't talk any of that stuff but it just you know it's obvious that a lot of these banks um got slaps on the wrist by that previous administration and you know ironically enough the current president who has ties to b of a and mbna um you don't see that nearly as much but you know at the end of the day the higher up you go the more buddy buddy financial institutions and big companies are with these individuals that's all i gotta say and that's my that's my political piece for today um, it says, under the confidential settlement with the FDIC in 2017, if a Bank of the West customer racks up more than $1,000 in overdraft fees, the bank will close that customer's account, according to sources. And um, it says, consumer advocates said that Bank of the West policies under the 2017 FDIC agreement can do lasting damage beyond the immediate cost of overdraft fees. Customers who have their accounts forcibly closed receive a black mark through check systems a consumer reporting agency that helps banks decide whether to open a new account now you know i've done almost 200 of these podcasts i've talked to you about check systems a lot of you all don't even know what check systems is it is the system that the banks use to determine whether or not you were a worthy customer to bank there no there's no free agency necessarily in banking if you if you had a bad experience at another bank that will follow you to the next bank, especially if you owe money to the previous institution. And a lot of the times with the black mark through check systems, it doesn't necessarily mean that you owe money. It just means that you're a bad customer in their eyes. And that can be just as detrimental to people as owing a lot of money to the bank. Because this is what happens, okay? And this is technically how I got fired at Bank of America. But let's just say that I put in James Baca. I put the date of birth. I put the social in, driver's license, address. All those all those um, points of information, those data points that say, hey, this James Baca who lives on this street, who's this age, and this is his last word of his social. Um, yeah, he was flagged by Bank of the West for account abuse in 2016 for habitually overdrafting accounts. But they don't have all this information at Bank of America that says the context of what happened to you at Bank of the West. It just says Bank of the West put a note on check system saying, that this customer participated in account abuse. Account abuse means overdrafting your account. Account abuse doesn't mean committing fraud. Account abuse can mean a lot of things in the bank size. So whenever you get that check systems notes, when you open up an account at another institution, um, I'm just going to give you my experience when I was a, an account opener at Bank of America. I get that check systems note, and it tells me to call 1-800-CHECK-SYSTEMS. I, I don't know the number offhand. And then you have to give your bank's little private code and say, this is Bank of America. The code is 1234. My name is James Baca. I'm checking on this customer. Um, I got this note here. And then it's um, someone who's usually in another country. Usually they're in India, which is fine. I don't, you know, No complaints there. 
Um, but, you know, they'll say, well, you know, the customer, Mr. Baca, was cited in 2016 by Bank of the West for account abuse. Account closed out on, you know, November 3rd, 2016 for account abuse. Would you like me to continue? And then you say yes. Well, okay, he also had a U.S. bank account closed in 2015 for account abuse, so on and so forth. So whenever you get those things and you have findings on there, it's your discretion as a supervisor or manager at the bank whether or not to accept that account. Most of the time, most of the time you deny the account because I was so hard, you know, bent for getting new accounts, getting new business because not a lot of them were walking through the door. I made exceptions and I said, okay, call check systems, spoke with, you know, Joe and he said that there was no additional marks for this payment resolved with Bank of the West. And then I would approve it or my boss would approve it. Now, how you can get fired from that is if that person commits account abuse at your bank and leaves with a charged off balance or something, then that falls on you. So check systems is meant to kind of fish, you know, to fish out those people who um, aren't quality customers. I always said that check systems doesn't alert banks uh, for problem customers. It alerts banks to not do business with certain customers uh, because they tend to be the ones to not get loans, to be the ones to not grow their money. They're the ones who overdraft their account. Who's going to be more of a problem because they're going to be sitting in your office complaining about the overdrafts and asking you to refund them more than saying, hey, yes, I'd like to buy a house, please. It's it's interesting that not a lot of people realize that. So the, the agreement saying that, hey, you know what? We're going to close your account out because we um, we like you, we love you, and we don't want you to hurt yourself anymore. So after you spend $1,001 in overdraft fees, we're going to close the account out. We, we know you need the money, so we're going we're gonna to close your account out, and you're free to go anywhere else. We just don't want to be in the business of taking that money away from you when you certainly need it. But here's the problem. Whenever that check systems mark is on there, you know, a lot of the times customers are going to have a hard time opening up another account at another bank because of those check system marks. So you've essentially unbanked that person. So you're not doing them a favor. In fact, you actually fucking hurt them a lot more by putting that check system note and by force closing their account. So in a weird way, and, and I know this to be true because I had a lot of customers say this to me over the years. A lot of customers say, well, I'll just pay the overdraft fees, but I need this account because this is where my paycheck goes. Or this is where my baby's daddy puts the child support at. And there's no other bank over there in that town except Bank of America. And that happens to people. That happens a lot to people. And, and, and the shitty thing is they get stuck doing it. They get forced to have to pay $35 for every single overdraft fee. Now it's 10 at Bank of America. But you know what I'm getting at. They're paying additional monies to be able to still bank there. Rather than the bank saying, you know, we're going to protect you by not letting you bank here. When in fact, you're hurting that person so much more. You know, to use a, a stupid analogy, I always t you know talk about Vegas. And um, I wrote a couple of books about Las Vegas. And one of the things I always talked about was, if you just informally asked everyone on your floor how much they paid for their room. And let's just say that there's 50 rooms on your floor. I guarantee you, you will get 50 different responses. Because a lot of people will get comped. A lot of people will pay... The price through a travel agent or an Expedia. Some people will buy it directly through the hotel. Some people will, you know, include the taxes and resort fees. Some people won't. So you'll get 50 different answers for the 50 people that you ask how much you paid for the room. So 
what I'm getting at is you're having customers paying a monthly fee for a bank account when other people aren't and there's people who don't have money who are basically subsidizing the bank who they're feeding money to this big faceless corporation just for the for the privilege of continuing to bank there that way they can get their meager means into their account and buy food and pay the bills it's 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 messed up and and honestly you know it's funny i um i was doing kind of a deep dive about canadian bank accounts and i'm like well you know canada's got good healthcare canada's got this got that i was like i just want to check out their basic checking accounts in canada with the three or four major banks there and holy shit they suck they suck just as bad as american bank accounts so it's not it's not just a us thing okay there are a lot of pros about canadian bank accounts but there's a lot of horrible shit too so all what i'm getting at is you know the experiences both bad and good are kind of universal okay um but how a bank handles a habitual overdrafter or someone who needs help to me that's not a person who's doing account abuse that's a person who needs help understanding their finances and understanding banking and that's how me a former banker used to see it i never saw this person i was like oh i can't get sales out of them no i legitimately wanted to help them because i wanted to give them financial advice that they wouldn't get otherwise because what the, the shitty thing about that is no one's going to tell this person how to manage their money i can't put a gun to their head and say hey don't go to applebee's too often but i can say hey you know what that applebee's charge right there caused this gym membership to overdraft the account so just watch out what you're doing you know make a note of it on your phone whenever bills are coming out that way you can kind of adjust accordingly it takes two seconds to check your balance i took all that shit seriously so um this agreement in 2017 that says hey you know it we're we're not letting these customers do damage to themselves by getting charges overdraft fees no you're doing it in a different way and by far a worse way you are unbanking these people you are underbanking these people because they're no longer going to bank with you and then they're going to have a dickens of a time uh, banking somewhere else because of your bullshit bank of the west basically and um lauren sanders of the national consumer law center said in this um, article here by patrick is bank of the west bleeding customers dry and then shoving them out onto the street banks have a duty to help customers who are struggling with overdrafts fucking right you are right lauren saunders good job because it's it's important to have those conversations and i took that shit so seriously in the the rough and tumble neighborhood that my bank of america was in and you know what overdraft fees are a scourge and i'm glad that you know a lot of banks are addressing them but there are some people who still don't know how to manage their money um there was this girl that i talked to um her name was alexis um and she went by lexi and i'm just i'm just gonna be frank with you she was a beautiful girl she was like one of the most beautiful customers that i've ever had <laughs> at, at bank of america and i i don't mean to objectify people but i am a 39 year old heterosexual male and she was in her 20s and she was just this awesome person i opened up her first checking account whenever she was 19 and i don't know she just was fun to talk to and um you know i, I kind of follow her on social media we talked every once in a while but we don't you know I, I don't i'm married i don't converse with these people so um you know i i whenever i was working at bank of america i would you know check in with these people say hey how you doing you know give her a hug and say hey how's things at work or how's things at school or whatever and you know we you know i knew her well enough to know that then she got into a car wreck by um 
a gas station that was close to Bank of America, and she got a $39,000 settlement. Um, and I saw that 39000 go into her account, and I would check in with her every couple of days. And literally two days after she got that money, it went down from 39000 to $19,000. Now, mind you, she spent $8,000 on the car, which she needed, which was fine. But then I saw, you know, $1,400 in plane tickets to Puerto Rico because I think that's where, like, her grandmother was from. And then I saw Best Buy, $952. Xbox Store, $99.99. I'm like, son of a bitch, man. And I think it's just kind of the, the bashfulness of the whole male-female play to not want to talk like a big brother or a, you know, a figurehead of authority to this person that you actually find attractive or whatever. But I didn't have the heart to say, hey, slow your roll with this spending. And by the time 2018 rolled around, all that money was gone. All that money was gone. And then I would go to Planet Fitness to go lift weights. And I'd see her working at Planet Fitness. And I'm like, God, man, she had to get a second job working at Planet Fitness because she couldn't manage her money. And now she has a kid and now you know she's a little older or whatever. I see people like her and I go... I don't understand how they survive. I don't understand how they survive by overspending and when they get money and they're not saving or whatever. And I'm like, these are the people that I need to help. And I feel so bad that I wasn't able to give her the financial advice that she probably deserved at that point in time. Not that she would have listened because she's a young kid at that point. But, and this is the big thing here, someone needs to. And banks with their sales policies, their sales goals and everything... That person is never going to have that conversation because when when Lexi gets $39,000 in her account and it's a big deposit, a teller who helps her is supposed to spot that, let James know, and then James has to be Mr. Salesperson and go, hey, Lexi, how are you doing? Hey, I noticed that big deposit in there. Do you have any plans for that? Well, just to let you know, we have a Bank of America money market savings account. You can put that money in there that we can save it for long term. Um, we can set that account open in five minutes if you like, if you have a couple minutes. My job isn't to ask her what her plans are relative to like what she's going to buy. Like When I say, do you have plans for that money? Well, I have a solution. Open up another account with us. That's not, that's not solutions that help her. That's solutions that help me. So, you know, Bank of the West got caught here doing something that they shouldn't have. And, of course, they declined to respond uh, to the story here. And it's it's interesting just seeing how banks don't respond to these things that we're all talking about now. Because that makes them look even guiltier as sin at that point. And um, one final thing on this article here. They mentioned pushing overdraft protection. It says, Bank of the West doesn't have the same hard-driving sales culture as TD Bank and other institutions. They do have sales goals, but it is not as crazy. I am aware of that. It's more, it's totally more about quality there than, than number of accounts. But its execs want to see new customers enroll in overdraft protection. One employee said, if only 75% of new customers enroll in overdraft protection, you're going to hear about it from your manager. So there's goals in other ways. And overdraft... And, Whenever I hear other people talk about overdraft protection, I'm always kind of just like curious as to what they mean. To me, overdraft protection means you set up a second savings account and you draft money out of that account to cover your overdrafts in your checking account. Um, to some people, overdraft protection means a credit card or a line of credit. And um, there's a whole article in here about farmers in Minnesota having these lines of credit um, that were subsidizing their accounts 
whenever they would overdraft and it was costing them a lot of money. I'll link to the article and um, Patrick's tweet in the show notes that we can look for it yourself. But that's that's where the revenue is from. The revenue is not from people who are actively looking at the account. It's for people who know that they have you know business to take care of and they just let that shit go. They just let it go without a thought and they end up spending hundreds of dollars more a year for nothing, basically. It says they always want to see a higher uptake of overdraft protection. And it says nearly 8% of Bank of the West profits came from overdraft and related fees in 2020, twice the industry average. And see, that just proves my point right there. So, you know, basically, you know, one eleventh of their money comes from overdrafts and fees, monthly fees, service fees, whatever. And Bank of America, you know, industry average chase, Wells Fargo means it's 4%, which is why I always say it's not a significant number uh, for their source of revenue. It's a drop in the bucket compared to the ways that they make their money. It says the bank's yearly overdraft revenue increased to $47 million in 2021 from 37 in 2016. The lender charges 35 per overdraft and customers can get hit with that fee five times a day. And it says in recent years, they have grown even more aggressive in trying to squeeze overdraft fees from customers. So it says banks can't automatically enroll their customers in overdraft protection. Usually there's a document that you got to sign. It said the bank must explain the benefits and costs of overdrafts in a clear, accurate, and balanced way. Uh, Bank of the West salespeople have leeway in how they describe overdraft protection, which leaves room for abuse, says three former employees who have left in the last 12 months. Overdraft is always a trouble spot when it came to compliance, said a former branch manager who worked in Oregon. <laughs> There's always a lot of disgruntled Oregon branch managers out there. There was one for Bank of America that I talked to uh, for the longest time, and she was in one of the American Banker or one of the stories um, about about sales practices and this and that and the other thing. And far be it for me to criticize another employee's journey at a big bank but um i found her kind of curious i'm just gonna say it that way um if if you don't know what i mean well i could definitely link to her youtube channel in my show notes and see how during covid she decided to use peanut butter as a face mask and gave all these weird helpful household tips so i'm just saying and I, i hate being accusatory like this I think she just wanted to be famous and 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 i don't seek that i i want to be thanked for my work but what she was doing just was a little grandiose and i was already well more established in what i do whenever she came out of the woodwork in 2020 to try to do her thing too but yeah a lot of disgruntled oregonians out there it says bank of the west relies on internal auditors and quote secret shoppers consultants who disguise their identities to get unvarnished views of a company's customer service to monitor how employees disclose overdraft options i hate secret shoppers i got dinged on a secret shopper thing once for um stumbling on my words whenever i was talking about a notary service secret shoppers do not work per se for that company they work for another company usually and they work on behalf of that bank um whenever i would get dinged by a secret shopper or whenever someone in my market would get dinged I would take offense to that because the person who is secret shopping typically isn't trained as a banker. And and a lot of, yes, you have to read shit verbatim. There's some things that you can say and can't say. Um, but I don't trust their expertise. Whenever it says it relies on internal auditors for Bank of the West, well, 
when you have a bank audit, the auditors typically will ask you questions for compliance purposes to make sure that you know what you're talking about. The secret shopper thing is is stupid because in order to understand how a, a place flows, you have to actually work there. So, um, and it's funny because I can spot a secret shopper from a mile away. And I think the majority of Bank of the West employees probably could as well. So I don't think it's very fruitful. So whenever Bank of the West says, hey, we have secret shoppers to make sure that we're compliant. Yeah, but it's all a show at that point because you can spot them. Okay, because these customers that walk in and say, hey, yes. So explain to me your overdraft protection policy. No fucking human being talks like that ever. And, and, and immediately you can fish that out. You can fish that out. I'm just saying. Bank executives know that ways employees explain overdraft protections can vary greatly. It's inevitable that customers are confused by overdraft policies when the bank lets employees describe them in their own words rather than rely on the script. Usually there is scripting, though. Uh, customers get a written disclosure about overdraft policies, but the paperwork is very formal and not easy to understand. At Bank of America, it's three pages. What bankers tell the customers is what really matters. Uh, the bank's own system of customer service checks highlighted these problems. Whenever we heard back from internal audit, there was always problems with overdraft. So, it's easy to say that they were monitoring how we discussed overdraft protection. But if you explain it right, and you, you explain the correct procedure of how it works, there's no right way to explain it to where it doesn't sound like you're siphoning money from that customer. So, if that customer goes, oh, whoa, that's great, sign me up. You probably didn't explain it the way that you should have at that point. Because I think a conversation of, hey, can I overdraft and can this account borrow from this account? We need to have a conversation about how you really bank, Mr. Customer, because, uh, yeah, of course, we want you to protect your assets. But at the same time, we don't want you to go blindly into account, not knowing how you're going to pay the bills from one day to the next because it's all doing it for you. You need to understand what's going on in order for us to accurately and efficiently help you. So, you know, scripting and all that, I, I can tell you all the scripting from my time at B of A. I know that's important to them. I know it's important to a lot of banks. But you got to understand one thing, and I'll wrap it up here. Um, a lot of the times, customer service reps at banks, and this was me too, they didn't have the confidence to speak one-to-one -one with the customer, look them in the eyes, and tell them the way that it really is. So you get these bashful people who don't, you know, explain policy correctly to customers, and that actually tends to burn the customers more. You can give them these disclosures, which, like I said, B of A does and Bank of the West does. But it's all this legal jargon, and it makes no sense. Like, I, I can read this shit up and down, and it still doesn't make sense to me. And you just, oh, yeah, just sign right here, and we'll protect your account. And they'll sign right there because they want to protect their account. And they don't even really know what they signed up for. So, you know, having that extra you know benefit quote that extra product is what's making bank of the west a lot of money not just the overdrafts because you're dwindling that person's money by charging them fees to borrow money from savings or a line of credit to their checking account and it's basically costing them the amount of an overdraft fee without ever really overdrafting them so it's kind of a lose-lose situation at that point so, look, you know, they're going to attempt to merge with BMO Harris, BMO Harris, however you want to call it. And um, I've heard good things about BMO Harris, to be honest with you, um, from Danielle, my, my friend who worked there for a while. Um, so I, I believe that things can get better or, you know, things can get worse, too. But 
I think that, you know, when you have stories like this and you have a conversation about this, I think going forward, you're going to see uh, Bank of the West or the new entity with the merger um, highlight overdraft fees as one of the things that they need to, quote, fix, and they'll do away with them. I just started banking with PNC, and they have a $36 overdraft fee, which is $1 more than Bank of America. I know that I'm not going to overdraft the account, but the simple fact that that still hasn't moved when other big banks have moved their overdraft fees or eliminated it altogether tells me that there are still some serious conversations that these banks need to have with themselves and with their customers about how can we make a better experience. Because if big banks can do away with a lot of that revenue, then smaller banks can figure out a way to do it too. Will that mean higher monthly fees, less staff? I mean, I don't know. But all, all I know is... This conversation about overdrafts has to be a one-to-one thing. It can't just be a blanket. Every bank needs to stop charging overdraft fees immediately. There's different banks that service different customers' needs. Bank of the West, to me, just seemed like one of those type of banks that was inherently just a local bank, even though it was a national company. They had a branch in Anthony, New Mexico, where I was going to take that job. They had a branch in Hatch, New Mexico, home of world-famous Hatch Green Chilies, where there's less than 2,000 people there, but that was one of the main banks in that town there was like three banks and nationally you know known bank of the west was one of them until they went away they closed it down but it tells me that that bank was kind of built on that local feel like hey we're a local bank technically you know because we're from the community so on and so forth until they're not and and i've said it a million times and i said it at the beginning of this segment here you know local banks and medium-sized banks do not offer necessarily better fees than big banks you know what i mean is lower overdraft fees or lower monthly fees or other ancillary services they're just as bad if not worse for the most part it's more about how is that bank going to handle it but whenever the bankers inside are trying to push you to sign up for a product that's going to just slowly siphon money away from your savings or a line of credit in order to cover your your debits from your checking account then that's that's the ruse all along that local feel became hey Uh, You know, you want to get screwed by a bank? Well, come to someone local. At least you know us. At least, you know, my kids go to the same school as your kids or whatever. It's a complicated story. I'm sure we'll talk about it some more if more comes out. But thanks to Patrick for the article. Thanks to, you know, his reporting his work on that. It gives me content. It allows me to talk about other banks as well instead of crusty old B of A. But guess what? In the next segment, we're going to talk about crusty old B of A. And I helped Susan in D.C., um, recover fifteen hundred dollars uh, from Bank of America after a fraud claim gone wrong. So please stick around. Hey everyone, it's James Baca, known professionally as the Notorious Banker, inviting you to buy my latest book, High Risk Transactions: The Ryan Coogler Bank of America Incident. It's available now on Amazon in Kindle and paperback format. This book discusses the January 7, twenty twenty two incident at the Tony Buckhead District of Atlanta, Georgia's Bank of America branch. Ryan Coogler, acclaimed director of Black Panther and Creed, goes in to take $12,000 cash out to pay an employee of his. Why does one hour later he ends up in handcuffs, suspected of attempting to rob the very bank he stood in line for to get money out? High Risk Transaction discusses all the possible scenarios that could have happened the way that they happened in order for Ryan Coogler to be in the back of a police car. It was ridiculous when it happened and I want to kind of just break down what went wrong and why things like that should not happen inside a billion dollar bank. 
know from a 13-year former manager of Bank of America like myself and commentator about why banks are getting worse and worse by the day that there was a lot more going on than meets the eye with this particular case. So please go to kuglerbofabook.com. It'll route you to the Amazon link where you can buy high-risk transaction, the Ryan Coogler Bank of America incident, available on paperback and Kindle format for as little as $8.99. And I promise you, a healthy portion of the proceeds will go to help people in need. As you know, the Notorious Banker is notorious, pun intended, for giving back to his community, whether it's through donations to food pantries or homeless shelters. The Notorious Banker realizes the scope of this incident and the fact that this book might be a little bit more successful than my previous ventures. So I promise you that a good chunk of proceeds will go to help people in need. So go to www.kuglerbofabook.com and purchase High Risk Transaction, the Ryan Kugler Bank of America incident, available on Amazon in Kindle and paperback format. And we could talk about what went on with this crazy story together. Thank you. Alright everyone, I'm back with the final segment of Notorious Banker. So Susan in DC, I, I, I just want to thank her right off the top for her trust and allowing me to help her recover $1,500 from Bank of America after a fraud claim, a, a, a claim for a stolen credit card just went horribly wrong. Now of course, um, I don't want to break down too much into the specifics of what happened here. But I do want to tell you kind of the framework of what happened and, and, and what I do. My vigilante customer service, my customer service strategy um, going on. As a lot of you who listen to this podcast and see me on Twitter know, I search Bank of America. I search Wells Fargo. I search Chase every single day on Twitter. I look for new posts that say, you know, fuck you, Bank of America. I hate you or screw you, Wells Fargo. I'm leaving you. And I usually want to see what's going on. And, you know, a lot of the times it's something that can be easily remedied just with like two seconds of customer service by these banks. But they don't even have time, two seconds to give these customers. Um, A lot of the times you'll see people just at the end of their rope. It's just like they've been dealing with bullshit for months and they just want someone to listen to them in any way. So Susan, who, um, you know, I I don't want to get too deep into who she is, but she's got a little verified check mark. And um, this is her job title on, on her Twitter. She's the senior editor at AFP in D.C. And um, she went to Medill, which is Northwestern. She went to Georgetown. I, I think it's cool. You know, I think this is a, an amazingly educated person. And someone, you know, like me, I, I don't know if I'm amazingly educated. I went to a state school. But um, someone who understands that there's got to be more to what's going on than what's going on and uh you know with poor susan she um she lost her card her card was stolen her bank of america card among other bank cards were taken from her and someone used it at an apple store for fifteen hundred dollars so you know you go like well okay that's easy hey and and bank of america and their zero liability guarantee with a lot of other banks who have that Say, hey, if you didn't do this charge, just let us know. Well, guess what? Susan let them know and said, hey, my card was stolen. I, I, I didn't do this charge. This was my last charge. And, you know, she's been a customer for 30 years. So, you know, whenever you're a customer for 30 years, I just want to get off on a quick rant here. So whenever you go through a customer service issue, especially with a credit card, guys, 
if you have a credit card issue that's you know someone stole your card you have a fraudulent charge or something just wrong is going with it don't ever just go to customer service and say well i'm just gonna close my card out this is ridiculous a lot of customer service associates who work for credit card departments know that that's kind of a bluff because a lot of people who have fragile credit scores i'm not saying susan does i'm just saying people in general who watch their credit score like a hawk who want to make sure that they always have the best credit score for you know various reasons don't want to close out that 30-year card that 20-year card because their their credit score will take a ding and a lot of the times if you've had that card for 20 years and the next the next oldest card is only eight years old you're losing a lot of cachet when it comes to average credit length average you know trade line length whenever you're buying a house or buying a car or whatever so you know threatening to close out the card is is a hollow threat in their eyes so i always say tenure um with banks and having that card means nothing to them because they know that you like that tenure more than they do because that helps you with your credit score i I know it's it's a weird tangent to be on but you need to understand how bankers think in order for you to understand why bankers do what they do so i saw her tweets on june 1st says hey bank of america i've been on hold for nearly an hour my card was stolen months ago i filed a police report and yet you're holding me accountable for a transaction after 30 years as a cardholder bad form for the record the fourth person one who called me back has put me on hold after i specifically asked her not to and then hey bank of america now three hours on hold two agents later no progress is this your business model so the back and forth um and i used to play tennis in high school and you know just that that little rally that you do where you know each person hits the ball 10 times and someone's gonna crack usually it's the customer that cracks because usually you're just lobbing it back to them and say help me and then they lob it back to you and say hey we'll be right with you and they want you to quit they want you to say screw this my time is more valuable to me than you think that my time is i'm just gonna just leave you guys bank of america made 30 billion dollars in profit last year whenever they say hey um we're gonna we're gonna lose out on 1500 dollars from this person yeah, no, we're good. We make $900 a second, basically. That That's the way, you know, the average person who works in the call center doesn't know about Bank of America's revenue. But whenever you work for a company that big, you have that mindset that, hey, we got 67 million customers. You're just one of them. You know, it's a drop in the bucket. And, and, and that's the way that they feel. So I saw Susan's tweets and I talked to her there. You know, I wasn't really offering my services. I was just trying to you know, sympathize with her because I know what it's like to be that branch manager and go in, and someone going into the bank saying, your call center is ridiculous. Well, you know, it's not my call center. It's a it's Bank of America's call center. And that's not reflective of how I do my customer service. So if there's a way that I can help you, I'm going to. I'm going to go through my channels to try to help you in some way. But But no one's empowered at B of A anymore to take ownership of that. They transfer you because here's the thing, and I, I didn't really talk to Susan about this. Um, call centers value the, the call time more than they actually value that person helping you. So if that person helped you and got you your money back and it was an hour-long call, they're going to be like, hey, James, you were on that phone for an hour, and in that time you could have answered six more calls. You need to work on your efficiency, James, because you can't spend an hour on the phone with your customer. 
these people get graded on call length time more than they do efficiency in helping. So whenever they put you on hold, say, let me transfer you to another person, put you on a brief hold, and they transfer you, that's the end of their call. So that that helps their average. You got that person off the phone in five minutes. Well, yeah, you sent them to another place. You sent them to purgatory. They sent them to another person who's not going to help them, and it's going to be a five minutes and then transfer. And that person's going to help their average too by just bouncing you around. A lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people don't understand that whenever they place you on a brief hold, that's the end of that person's call, especially whenever another person picks up. So basically, you're being used as a tool to improve their job performance, even though they're not helping you, even though they're not helping you, which just blows my mind. But that's customer service in a nutshell with Bank of America. So like I said, I was talking with Susan. It, it was something that, you know, June the 1st, it's a busy time on Twitter for bank issues. So I wasn't really like saying, hey, I can help and do this or whatever. But, you know, she filed a police report. She did all the things that needed to be done. She went the proper way to say, hey, I had my card stolen and it was used at this Apple store for this amount of money on this date. I filed a police report saying that this exactly what happened. I, you know, put my name and information to this police report saying that I affirm that this happened. And then Bank of America just goes denied. So the implication, and I talked to Susan about this, the implication is that you lied on the police report, that you filed a false police report. So basically, Bank of America is calling you a criminal um, for committing the misdemeanor of filing a false police report. Because you filed a police report saying your card was stolen. And Bank of America says, yeah, no, it was you. And you know how they think it's you? Because you have that cell phone in your pocket and you got that Bank of America app. And Bank of America said, hey, you were in this general area where the fraud, quote unquote, happened. So it could have been you because we pinged your Bank of America app to this location. And it was only 2.1 miles away from wherever the fraud occurred. That's how they get out of a lot of these fraud claims. And honestly, yes, I use the Bank of America app. I use a million apps that track my location and data. I'm not one of those weirdos that says, do not use my information without my permission. Dude, you're in the system no matter what, okay? If you get junk mail in your mailbox, you're in the system. If you sign up for coupons for some store, um, you know, online or whatever, your your information has been bought and sold a hundred times. You're, you're, you're not a consumer. You're the consumed, okay? You're the product at that point in time, so... The thing I hate is that, you know, we're so reliant upon these, you know, mobile applications on a phone now that we want it. We want easy access to our bank account whenever we need to do something. But at the same time, this, you know, Bank of America app is acting like a low jack on you. And it's basically um, placing you at the scene of the crime. Yeah, crime happened to you. But also someone used your card two miles away. And yeah, it could have been you because it's just right there. That's how Bank of America thinks. And I don't know how exactly they denied Susan's claim. I didn't ask her. But basically, they just said, yeah, no, it was it was you. Uh, we're not refunding you the money. Sorry. Better luck next time. So, you know, cut to two weeks later. And I, you know, I kind of lost track of Susan. I, I wasn't following her yet. And I, I think she was just kind of like just trying to like out of sight, out of mind with it. Just looking at her tweets. And then on um, June 13th, I search for Bank of America again, and then I see her on there. I laugh. It's not funny, but I laugh because whenever you have to deal with it, that's when you go off. And, and you know, she says, 
So, Bank of America, B of A help, I submitted a police report by fax and mail at your request showing that my card and ID were stolen, and yet you are still denying my fraud claim, which you alerted to me as fraud. And then funny HSBC found in my favor with same info. So Bank of America, after 30 years as a customer, you're calling me a liar. I'll be following up with BBB and CFPB. Very much so. I would say file those complaints. But I always tell people this. If you're going to file a complaint with those entities and you're going to and you're gonna do all this stuff to make sure that your voice is heard, expect them to stop helping at that point. You know, when I always hear people say, I'm going to sue you, Bank of America. Well, the second they sue you is the second that they're no longer going to help you. And that's the second that they're going to start to defend themselves. So, um, you know, a lot of my strategy is basically talk to someone directly. Talk to them like a human being. Don't talk to these robots in customer service. You need to explain what happened and you need to understand. And they, they need to understand what happened because a lot of the times the important people, the important people do not ever get wind of what's going on underneath them because a lot of the times the claims department at bank of america is a third party it's a it's a call center that is not bank of america employees it's call center employees that are trained to answer bank of america calls so you're not talking with an experienced banker and god help me for saying this i live in a college town and i love all the college students that have helped over the years but a lot of the times the people who did the call centers over here in las cruces are people who do not give a shit about customer service. They're just looking for a job to pay their rent, to pay their bills. And my wife did it before we moved in together. She worked a summer over here doing customer service for Citizens Bank back in the Northeast. There's no Citizens Bank within 1,500 miles from here. But yes, she did customer service for it. So that tells you how not local that customer service was if my wife did it. There's customer service for like J Crew and stuff like that over here. It's just like people aren't loving their job. They don't love the company that they're doing customer service for. It's just a job. So whenever you have an issue with those customer service robots, they're not even the robots that are that are the company's employees. They're someone else's employees. So whenever you're following up and reporting all that, that's fine. But you had a conversation with really no one at that point. And then you're filing a complaint where it just it just looks like you're the crazy one at the end of the day. And I tell I tell my followers, I say, do not be that person. You try to find a, a real conversation with a real important person and then you'll do it. So on June thirteenth, I volunteered. I said, Hey, um, I see that you're in DC. I know some information about people in DC who can probably help you. And she DM'd me. And, you know, I would say, I don't, I don't have a number here, I stopped counting, but I would say about 90% of people DM me. Because at this point, this is what they're thinking. What the hell do I got to lose? What the hell do I got to lose since my bank already screwed me? It's not like this person can rip me off anymore. And that's the thing. The hardest thing that I had with Notorious Banker was showing people that, one, I knew what I was talking about, and two, that I'm not a scammer. And I'm not a scammer. I'm just a normal dude. I'm a normal dude who's trying to help people. And I and you know Susan's name is out there because she's a public figure in a way, so um, it's not like you know I'm only going to help people with their names. It could be anyone. They could have any name on Twitter. They can you know say, you know Steph Curry's number one fan. I don't know that person's name, but I know the situation that they're in. So I don't need to know their information. I just need to know the scenario, and I can kind of workshop it from there and how to help that person. So I already knew what was going on with her from our previous conversations. I said, I'm going to DM you 
some information about someone in D.C., and I gave her some information uh, from, uh, it was a person who works for B of A in D.C., I'm not going to give the name out, and I said, look, this is a person who has worked in other high-profile places. I said, you're you're in the media, she works for AFP, you know, AFP is like the Associated Press and the old um, UPI from back in the day. So, you know, these are these are organizations that understand kind of how to frame the story, how to make it readable, how to make it easy for you to understand and comprehend. And that way you can, you know, have your own opinions on it or whatever. But it, it's it's easily consumable. And a lot of the times whenever you have a complaint at a big bank, it is not easily consumable. Because let's just say that Susan was in Miami and she emailed the, the, the market president of Miami, Florida, Bank of America. You know, she is pissed off. She is so upset at the moment. The email is going to be something like, I've been a customer for 30 years and never have I ever experienced such a rude customer service, this and that from Bank of America. This happened to me, that happened to me, and this is ridiculous. I'm filing a complaint, this and that. Now, I don't know, Susan, but I, I imagine in your head, because I know this, because whenever you're mad, your brain does weird things. I, and and a lot of the times what you're emoting is not really what you should be saying to that person. So you need to be almost a bigger person at that point. And, you know, I told her in so many words, I'm paraphrasing myself here. I said, you know, you're trained at this stuff. You know how to you know how to talk to people. You know how to communicate with people. This is what you do for a living. I said, you need to understand that these people are looking for keywords. These people are looking for certain things in a conversation with you. So do not make it about yourself. You say, this is what happened. I followed your procedures and the procedures are not working the way that you say that they're working. And then I said, you want to say, you want to emphasize that you're a victim of a crime because you are a victim of a crime. You got your card stolen and someone used it to the tune of, you know, four figures. That's a felony at that point. So a felony was committed on you. You file a police report saying a felony was committed on me. And then the bank has the audacity to say, and funny enough, I looked at, I said audacity and I was looking at the software that I used to record this and it's audacity software. (laughs) That was purely a coincidence. And, and you have the audacity to say that I'm committing the crime by lying on this police report saying that my card was stolen. You have to make it sound like, God, you guys are stupid. <laughs> you guys don't think logically. And you guys um, dropped the ball here. And I need you. I need someone to look at this because you know what? I, I'm out a lot of money and it seems like no one is helping. And all they're doing after fulfilling their request for all this stuff, it makes it seem like it's subterfuge. It makes it seem like it's busy work to just keep you active while they pretend to look at your claim and then inevitably deny you. I guarantee you they never looked at Susan's claim. I guarantee you they never looked once at all the information that, that she gave them. Whenever they deny something like that, that's more out of a, hey, we need to disposition this by this day. Okay, yeah, let's deny it. Okay, let's deny it. And they deny it, and she doesn't get her money back. That's how it works, guys. That's how it works. There's no investigator. There's no private dick in some office who says, hmm, according to surveillance video on this day. They don't look at that. They don't ask for surveillance video. They don't even look at surveillance video at their own ATMs, for God's sakes. Unless there's like a murder or a robbery that happens there. Like a, you know, gun-in-hand robbery. So... You're basically fighting a losing battle, and I don't, I don't know what the rate is of how many, you know, what percent they decline on fraud claims as opposed to, you know, how many are approved or whatever, but I guarantee you more than half of them never even get looked at. 
and not knowing, you know, how much Susan makes, not how much she has in that bank, if that's the only product that she has at Bank of America. I didn't ask her these things, but, and I'm going to double underline this but here. They know, Bank of America knows what a quality customer this person is. And they have this algorithm that basically says, is this customer worth saving? They have, it's called a customer retention uh, report. And they introduced it the year that I left Bank of America. And I used to have people who would say customer retention report and say low. And it would be someone I would know to have a lot of money. And what they mean by that is, we have not a shot of keeping this person because they're more than likely going to go to another bank or they may have all their assets at another bank. Or if it says customer retention high, that typically meant that this was the person's only bank and they've been here a long time. So their algorithm basically tells you who to help and who not to help. Well, it told me that anyway, but I helped everyone equally. That's just who I am. So I guarantee you all these things were factors in her getting her claim denied. So I, I gave her some tips on what to say to this person Within a day, she got her money back. Within a day, she got her money back. Okay, she she was complaining about it for months. She was frustrated for months. She probably was on the phone for hours. You know, the cell phone is just cooking on your head. <laughs> You're talking so much to Bank of America customer service, and it's frustrating. It's angering. And you know, my customer service strategy, vigilante customer service, whatever I like to call it, I tell people, I say, just use these words, avoid these words frame it this way send it to this way and i said i guarantee you and send it at a certain time too i I gave her some strategy about when to send it i said i guarantee you this person's going to be sitting in some meeting and they're going to see that pop up and they're going to have to pay attention to that and this person did pay attention to that gave her her his personal cell phone number responded to the email and within 24 hours she got her money back it's crazy to me I've told you guys, and we're coming up next week, I'll do a podcast about the six-year anniversary of me being homeless because of Bank of America and how I moved heaven and earth, threatening to quit, threatening to go to the media uh, for what Bank of America did um, in regards to my home loan with my wife and how they treated me, a manager, like a dog. And I literally slept like a dog on the floor for a week because Bank of America decided to, to do this game with me, an employee. I, I've been through it with them as a customer. I've been through it as an associate, as a manager. I know what they're capable of, but a lot of customers don't know what they're capable of until it happens to them. Susan has been a customer for 30 years. 30 years at Bank of America, okay? And, you know, I've been a customer for 20. I'm, I'm going to turn 40 in April. I've been a customer for 20 years, and i got to tell you, and I, I will tell anyone this, I hate people who say, oh, I've been there 30 years and I never had a problem. Like people who just like just poo-poo other people's complaints about a bank. It's like, oh, yeah, I go to that restaurant all the time. I never have a problem. Joe is my favorite waiter. Well, Joe can have a bad day with someone else. That restaurant can have a bad day with someone else, okay? So I know I don't like people who say, oh, like I've been here so many years and I have a problem. Because when you throw that tenure around, it's inevitable that something's going to happen. And I say... You shouldn't have 30 years of I never had a problem. It should be 30 years of I've had exemplary customer service and that's why I've been there for 30 years. But if and when you do have a problem with a big bank, that's when is the 30 years that you put in worth it at that point in time. Because if you say I've been here 30 years, I had one problem and they fixed it pretty damn well, then you should stick around with them. 
never say I had 30 years with no problem. And if you've never had a problem, you don't actually know what their customer service is like then. Because customer service is there to help fix things, you know, help with solutions and all this, all these buzzwords that people have. Well, if you're just going there and making straight deposits and you're asking for a roll of quarters for the laundromat once a week, that's not indicative of what their customer service is. I want to see people under pressure. I want to see them working hard to fix something that happened to you. And Susan learned really quickly that they're not there to help her. They're there to have the theater of helping her and then denying her claim because those people at the end of the day know one thing. What's she going to do? She's not going to be able to fix this. We can tell her whatever she wants. We're the bank. And, and you know what's funny? My Bank of America managers used to say that. You know, you can't say, oh, yeah, no, please. You know, my boss or my manager is like, no, you're Bank of America to that customer. And and you know what's funny? Like, as, as, as shitty, the way that they put that on me, whenever they say you're Bank of America to that customer, that was just meant for them to say hey if they yell at you they're yelling at you <laughs> they're not yelling at bank of america because you're bank of america i agree with it to the point that you know what susan could be mad at all the shitty customer service that's out there and that's going to be her bank of america memories now even though she got her money back because there was one person who fixed it for her but the only reason that, that person fixed it for her was because i showed her how to get that person to fix it for her and that person never would have known, and that person would have never, you know, thought one second of, hey, Susan in D.C. did not get her money back on this claim. Oh, shucks, what happened? No, he would never would have known. And that's my thing. Whenever you have something that needs troubleshooting, that's when customer service really does happen. And um, they failed her, but we got it right. The Notorious Banker got it right. I'm near $3 million in recovering Fraud claims, overdraft fee refunds. Uh, of course, we did PPP loans, unemployment fraud claims in 2020. Um, we got a lot of fees waived for withdrawal limits, for Reg D fees. Um, my project is, it doesn't matter if it's a $2 fee or an $800,000 house like our man, Dr. V in Atlanta. It's important to me to know that, you know what, these conversations need to be happening and there can be as much scrutiny from Elizabeth Warren or anyone in Congress about, hey, banks need to be better. But they're talking about things that we all agree on. Like, oh, yeah, overdraft fees are bad, this and that. Yeah, overdraft fees are bad. But you know what's worse? That you have a fraud department whose sole job is to research fraud and check irregular activity, alert you for irregular activity like they alerted her. And then go, yeah, yeah, no, no, it didn't really happen that way. No, nah, we're denying your claim. It's yeah. No, it was you. We we have reason to believe that it was you that made that charge. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And um, you know, it's it's always cool to have someone who understands what I did for them and and I'm really appreciative and thankful for her trust. Um, because a lot of the times, like, you know, it's someone who it's not as well educated as Susan. It's someone who doesn't have a high profile job. It's not someone who understands how to talk to to people in power, let's say. It's these people who are fry cooks, these people who are servers, you know, people who work at the landfill over here who have this fraud happen to them. They don't have the resources, time, energy, or the words to get the help. So if someone is screaming into the abyss on Twitter, I'm going to try to help them any way that I can. 
and I told I told Susan this, and I'll tell you guys this on the podcast, and I'll wrap it up here. Do not ever vent in any conversation with customer service reps at banks like that. Do not vent like say, "Hey, I'm going to leave this bank. It's ridiculous. You guys suck. You guys are horrible." Because the people's give a shit switch just turns off immediately. Okay, it it does. It does. Some people are built different. I like to think that I'm built different. So whenever I help people with this type of stuff, I tell them this. I said, you know what? I know the reason why you're tweeting. I know why you're upset. I said, vent to me. You can say all the shit that you want to me, and I'm going to be fine with it because I understand where it's coming from. But I'd rather you say it to me and then be professional and email to them. That way they can help you. And I think that's the most important part of what I do is I teach people how to kind of direct their anger, channel their anger into something productive. And sometimes you need that little push. And she definitely needed it because she was not going to get that money back from Bank of America unless I came to the rescue. And, uh, you know, I, you know, people say, James, you should be proud of what you do. I am proud of what I do. I, I toot my own horn because when I worked at Bank of America, God, I love that place. I did when I first was there. I was like, I feel important. I get to wear a suit. I get to wear a tie. I didn't even know how to freaking tie a tie until I started working at Bank of America. And you can see what a difference you make in people's lives. You can see how people love talking about themselves. I remember I used to open accounts for kids that were coming to college, and their eyes were just so wide open talking about, yeah, I can't wait to experience college, and I got a job at this fast food place. And you get to see the world through their eyes. Now imagine that that same bank is basically just ruining their life, ruining their financial lives by not even giving them the time of day whenever fraud happens to them. That's what makes me bitter, and that's what makes me angry. There's going to be a point in time where, you know, the the three books that I've written about Bank of America's um, workplace environment are going to come out, and then Bank of America is going to release a statement saying, oh, we terminated James Baca in 2018, and uh, we have no comment on his project at this time. When deep down they know that I know a lot more than they think that I should know. And they under and maybe the people who do realize that I do what I do as notorious banker will realize one thing. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna help as many people as I possibly can to the detriment of my finances if it means that I can help people live a better financial life in spite of you, Bank of America and Wells Fargo and other big banks. I love what I do. I love absolutely love what I do. Um, but like I said, I loved Bank of America when I worked there. But it wasn't until I started becoming a manager and a supervisor and having these conference calls that I saw what their real intentions were. I saw what their real true colors were. And I didn't like it, but I had bills to pay. I had a family to take care of. And my parents were proud of me for working at a bank, so I didn't want to leave that job. And then it left me. And I'm like, well... I can do so much more on my own than I ever can with this company. And I, it's true. I have helped so many more people doing this little thing in my little dark office right here than I ever did in the bright lights of a bank branch in Socorro, New Mexico, then Las Cruces, New Mexico. The Notorious Banker is here to stay. And I thank Susan for the trust again. I thank you all for listening to this podcast. My name is James Baca. I am known professionally as the Notorious Banker. I am an author of a book called High Risk Transaction, The Ryan Coogler Bank of America Incident, now available on paperback and Kindle format on Amazon. My link is in on my Twitter account at BankBetterGuy, or you can go to thenotoriousbanker.com for all of my links. 
I really appreciate you listening to this. Thanks again to Susan for allowing me to help her. Thanks again to Patrick Rucker for the awesome story about Bank of the West. Thank you all again for listening. I will be back next week. I'm going to do a little anniversary piece about my homeless Bank of America experience and then any other news as breaking news warrants, my friends. Thank you so much for the 3,500 people who listened to my last podcast. It really means a lot to me. Till we meet again, my friends, my name is James Baca, also known as Notorious Banker, signing off. You have a good weekend. Take care of the people around you, and do not let big banks get you down. Talk to you soon. Bye.